Lord, I, I thank you for this time. I, I, Lord, I confess that my mind's in a lot of places right now, and um, uh, it needs to be right here in this study. And so I pray that you would focus uh, my mind and my heart so that I don't uh, sound like a babbling fool as I teach. And I pray that just uh, corporately, you would focus our hearts and our minds on what it is you would have us to, to hear and to learn and to understand tonight. Lord, we desire for you to be glorified um, in the way that we live, in the decisions that we make, in the conversations that we have, in the discernment that we show, and in the wisdom that we seek. And in these studies, as we look at our forefathers in the faith, those early church families, essentially, um, you're teaching us so much uh, about uh, relationships, about hard conversations, uh, about decisions that um, families make and how they make them, about what's right and what's wrong. And, and I just pray that tonight you would, well, first I want to thank you uh, for the things that you've shown us in the Word. It's a privilege that we would open the, the Bible and have any understanding at all. It's only by the work of the Spirit that we do. But I pray that we would uh, continue to hear the truth tonight and not just hear it, but persevere in it. To not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the words, as, as your word says. Um, Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up to Genesis 27. If you're not there already. I'm going to go ahead and read these verses aloud. Normally we have some questions first. I'm going to go ahead and read these verses so we can climb into the text. And, uh, and then we'll do some, some questions recapping what we looked at last week. Uh, starting in verse 14 in Genesis 27. This is the chapter, if you're not familiar, this is the chapter where um, Isaac is aiming to bless Esau. But um, in a crazy turn of events, with including goat hair and deception, uh, he blesses Jacob. And we know before the chapter begins that it's God's um, purpose that Jacob is blessed. Uh, he visited uh, Rebekah and Isaac while the two boys were still in her womb and, and let them know ahead of time. There are two nations within your womb. Uh, the older will serve the younger. Um, and so they knew ahead of time what God's plan was here. And Isaac's trying to pull a switcheroo and bless Esau privately without the rest of the family, which is awkward because the family blessing is a big deal. It should be kind of a celebration event. And uh, um, then Rebecca, eavesdropping, decides to pull her own switcheroo. And we have this weird scenario where it's like, who can sin more efficiently to get their own way? And no one's really looking at God. No one's considering, what has the Lord said? What has the Lord ordained for this um, situation? What does God want for our family? And there's, there's a lot of deception. And it's a really um, there are things that happen in this chapter that should make us say, well, that's weird. That's awkward. Um, why in the world would they do that? Why did that happen? And it's a good reminder for us that when we're reading through the scriptures, it's not just a matter of, well, these people are in the Bible, so we need to be like them. A lot of times it's these people that are in the Bible are exactly how we're not supposed to act like. And just like they needed to be redeemed by God, we also need to be redeemed by God. So it's not a be like Isaac, be, be um, insightful like Rebecca, uh, but rather um, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and we all desperately need uh, redemption. So let's jump back into this weird chapter and we'll start in verse, <coughs> you know what, we'll read the whole thing because we're finishing the chapter tonight. 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim and he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Uh, Before we go any further, what do we know about Isaac? Is he about to die? No. Does he have like a couple weeks left? No, he's got like decades left. He's a silly old man at this point. And um, it's apparent he's not about to die. Verse 5, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the fields to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before uh, the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare for them, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Evidently, Rebecca's a good cook. She's going to make goats taste like venison. Um, so such as he loves, and you shall bring it to your father to eat, that he may bless you before he dies. They're going to pull a switcheroo as well. But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him. I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Why would it seem like he was mocking him? Because he is, yes, and, uh, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went, and he took them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious foods such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son. Pay attention to the details. The best garments of Esau, her older son, which were uh, with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And then it gets really weird. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. This really happened. And she put the delicious food and the bread, uh, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son, Jacob. So here Jacob is, wearing Esau's clothes, covered in goat hair, going to try to fool his dad. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Um, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Six lies in one verse. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. That's bad. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. It's high and sissy, but the hands are hairy like the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. That's a pretty funny verse. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy. Um, So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Another lie. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. This should sound familiar. It sounds like God's um, covenant that he made with Abraham. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, 
Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. Uh Uh-oh. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? Awkward. He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. I've blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. That's a turning point in the passage. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, this is where we're going to be focusing tonight, so pay attention to these verses. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for, your, for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, O my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. That's a weird way to find comfort. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Seems weird to say that right there. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So the chapter ends a little weird, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, What does God always accomplish his purposes. Isaiah 44 says, God reminds us, he says, I'm God. There's, there's no other like me. You can find the greatest that the earth has to offer, and there's not anyone who's even a little bit like me. I, I am my, I'm unlike all others. I am God, and I will accomplish all my purpose, no matter what. How has that been displayed in this chapter? How has God accomplished his purposes no matter what in this chapter? Yeah, they tried to trick him. Uh, they, being the family, tried to trick. Uh, well, everybody tried to trick everybody. Yeah, it was a real mess. Um, how else was it displayed? Yep, just like he said. When they were still in the womb, just like he said. Uh, does God wait for Isaac and Jacob to get it right so that he might bless them? Is he sitting there saying, okay, guys, just get it right so I can bless you? No, no, there's a big turning point there. If you, if you look at verse um, 33, 
It's weird. It's a, it's a weird verse because Isaac is trembling violently. I mean, if you've ever seen someone who has recently been duped or fooled or made to be a fool, and they're just so upset or something's happened that was deceitful to them, they were deceived, and they're shaking, and it's, it's very real. That's what's happening here. I mean, he, he's really um, undone, in a sense, by what's happened. And it's interesting because he's shaking, and you could hear his voice trembling violently, very violently. And he says, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I blessed him? That's a big question. What in the world just happened? And then at that moment, you see a total change. And he says, yes, and he shall be blessed. And what Hebrews tells us, which we'll look at here in a few minutes, is that, that in faith, in fact, in faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. So this was a faithful action. If you take God out of this, it changes everything. So um, rather than waiting for them to get things right, what does God do? What did he do in the end of that verse? Where you see this change in Isaac, trembling violently, then yes, and he shall be blessed. Affirming what's happened. Huh? Yeah, there's a change in Isaac's heart. God interceded and God provided the needed redemption. They, they needed to be redeemed from their self-serving ways so that they could walk in faith. Hebrews, written much after the fact, tells us, in faith, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. And in fact, Esau as well, which we'll see in a few minutes. But it was, it was a faithful action. It's not because he got his stuff together and was finally acting faithful. That's not how it works. The only reason that any of us have any faith in our life, that there's any faithful fruit that comes from our life, is because God intercedes redeems us from our wicked ways, and makes us so that we can be faithful. That's exactly what he did here. You go from someone trembling violently because they've been fooled to affirming what they've done. Yes, and he shall be blessed. There's a moment of sobriety there, a, a moment of clarity. And um, God interceded and provided the redemption. What all did God redeem in this passage? Just, just rattle off the, the different things that God redeemed in this passage. He's a big God of redemption here. Or you could just make a list of what needed to be redeemed, and then you'll see what God has done. Lies. Lies, okay. That includes about 100 things in this chapter. What are some of those lies? Yeah, Jacob told six of them in one. God redeems Jacob. What else? Yeah. Yep. What else? Huh? Yeah. There's a lot of redemption in this chapter. Keep your eyes open tonight as we go through the rest of this chapter and finish it out. Just look at what God's doing. You know, Psalm 9 says um, that the wholehearted worshiper recounts the deeds of the Lord. To be able to recount the deeds of the Lord, you have to pay attention to the deeds of the Lord. And God is a God of redemption, and there is a huge amount of redemption, a huge amount of His purposes being fulfilled in this chapter alone that we as wholehearted worshipers can rejoice in. So pay attention to Him so that we are able to recount as we move forward. Uh, what happens if we forget God's work in the passage? If, if we're just looking at this and trying to make sense of it from a family, like just reading a story about a family, what happens if we remove God from the passage? 
a tragic story that's really hard to understand. As I was studying this, my first few rounds through reading it, I was just thinking, I, I don't know how to teach this. This doesn't make any sense. Because here you got all these bonehead, liar, deceiver, backhanded, crooked family members treating each other horrible, and all of a sudden he's affirming the blessing of God in like a single breath. Like it just changes. I don't understand that. While I was reading it, outside of the remembering the truth that these are God's people. This is God's people that he's redeemed out of a wicked world for his glory. And God intercedes and he changes their hearts. But if we lose sight of the fact that God's very active in what seems to be a really bad day for the, um, for the family, then uh, it will not make any sense to us. We have to keep our eye on the fact that the Lord is a God of redemption and he is doing as he has always done, especially in this chapter as we read. So how did I, just to make sure it's clear, how did Isaac bless Jacob? Was it just a mistake? It was the will of God. So he did it by faith. That's really important for us to get. If we move on, it doesn't make any sense. If we don't understand, this was a faithful act. It looked completely dumb and weird and backwards and crooked up until the point where there's that affirmation of yes, and he shall be blessed. And that gives us the sign that Hebrews tells us that it's by faith that he blessed him. Uh, When we carefully turned to Romans 9 last week, um, at the end of the study, um, with no time for questions, unfortunately, um, what did we find out about the kind of vessels that these boys are, these 50-year-old boys? We talked about vessels in Romans 9. I'm bringing it up at the beginning of the study this week. It's dangerous. Um, what kind of vessels are they? What kind of vessel is, is Esau? A vessel of wrath. Now. Prepared for destruction, endured with much patience. Who is enduring the, that vessel with patience? God. Whose hand made that vessel? When? That's right. Okay. What about Jacob? What kind of vessel is he? Vessel of mercy. Created for what? Good works. And whose hand created that vessel? When? After he got his stuff together? No, before he was even born, when he was still in the womb. Prepared before they were born, Jacob was a vessel of mercy prepared for glory. That's what he was prepared for. That's what he was created for. Esau, before he was born, so that it would not be according to works, but because of the calling one, the one who calls, the Lord was prepared as a vessel of wrath. He was patiently endured by God and prepared for destruction. And we're not going to take any more questions on that. I'm just kidding. Does anybody have any questions about that? It's, uh, I mean, three, two, one. Okay, the next question. Uh, Even if Jacob had been completely honest, like, that's the thing. We, we, throughout the whole chapter, it's like, Jacob, bam, right off the get-go. Here I am. Who are you? He's got a chance to repent. Right, step one into deceitful feast with dad. Who are you? I'm your firstborn Esau. He had a chance to repent. And again and again, he has a chance to repent. But he just tells more lies. And one of the things that we saw is you cannot sin your way out of sin. You can't lie your way out of a lie. And he had these chances to repent. But even if Jacob had been completely honest, let's say that Jacob turns it around and says, you know what? I, uh, dad, I've got goat hair all over me. I'm acting like a fool. Um, God said I'm the one who's supposed to be blessed. I'm, I, I'm sorry. 
even if he would have come clean and been totally you know, forthcoming and, and righteous in it, is it enough to earn God's blessing? No. God's blessing is not there to be earned or to be lost or to be forfeited by stupidity. God has said, this is what I did. This is what I created him for, and I will accomplish my purpose. When all the circumstances seem to point to the fact that it's not going to work out, God's saying, I'm going to accomplish all my purpose. So um, in verse 34, we're going to take a look at what it was. When we talk about God patiently enduring Esau, we're going to look at what, that, what he was really enduring. Verse 34 says, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. What is it that Esau appears to care about greatly? This blessing, right? But as we look closer, what does Esau really, really care about? Esau. Esau, what he's showing here is there's this blessing, and this blessing's a big deal. I mean, the one who's given power over the family can control the family's resources, how the family spends their time. We're not going to, I'm in charge of this family. We're not bringing foreign gods in here. We're not marrying into whoever we want to. Uh, We're God's people. We're going to do what God says we should do. That's what the head of the household does. Uh, The head of the household has to have a view of future generations. The head of the household has to, in this time, they, they sort of played the role of the priest, in a sense, where you would help the family to define what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord and what is not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. What is sin? What is good? And so this is a big role. The blessing, if you have a view of the blessing and what that is, that's what that is. He doesn't have a view of the blessing. He really wants to be blessed. He wants a blessing, not the blessing. And there's a difference. And we're going to look at that a little closer. But he's not so interested in the blessing as much as he is interested in being blessed. This shows the difference between a person who desires to use God as opposed to being used by God. It's, it's different than, Lord, bless me so that I can do what you want me to do, or Lord, this is what I want to do, bless me. You see the difference in the prayers? It's kind of like the, the prayer where you, you tell God everything you're doing, and then you ask him to bless it. You just want to be blessed, but the blessings that God gives are for his purposes. His blessings are always connected to his purposes, When he says, I will accomplish all my purposes, he blesses his people along the way so that his purposes are accomplished. So one one wants to accomplish their own purposes, Esau. One wants to accomplish God's purposes, Jacob, only because God redeems him and, and puts faith in him so that he can be faithful in his actions. Look at verse 35 to 36. But he said, your brother came to see deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? It's an interesting recapping of events, isn't it? Um, is this really how it played out? Is this how it happened with Esau? How did he lose his birthright? The fateful day with the red stew. What happened? He gave it up. Why? Because he was hungry. So hungry he could die. Not sober-minded. Yeah, he comes in from the field, and uh, Jacob is cooking like normal, and, uh, and he's got the red stew going, and it just, it just, it's interesting. He just calls it red stew. It says nothing about its flavor. The aromas filled the earth. It's just red stew. And he goes in, and, and Jacob is not, we can't look at this and say, okay, Jacob's the good guy. So what did Jacob do? Because we want to be like Jacob. 
Jacob was dishonest and sideways and backwards and backhanded and self-serving. Keep your eyes on the Lord and how he redeems everybody from their wickedness to use them as the vessel that he sees fit to use them as. And so he comes in and he says, he says, oh, I'm so hungry I could die. And he says, okay, yeah, sell me your birthright and I'll give you some red stew. It seems like the dumbest story in the world. But what we see is Esau shows what he really, really cares about because for his, he gives his birthright to his brother, promises it, and he gets his red, red stew and he doesn't die, luckily. This reveals a lot about Esau. And here, Esau's not presenting himself in, in, uh, in real true light. Uh, um, uh, Paul Tripp, when we were going through that uh, marriage seminar thing and all, he said, my view of myself is about as accurate as a carnival mirror. I need you to hold up the mirror of God's word so that I can rightly see myself in light of who God is. He's saying that what I think I look like and am and I, what, what I think has happened with me is not accurate if I just am on my own trying to figure it out. And God gives us each other to walk with each other, to hold up the mirror of God's word so that we can understand the circumstances in light of true reality of who God is. We need each other so that we can understand the reality of the situation. Here, Esau does not have that, and we see that Esau has a very skewed view of what's really happened to him and how the circumstances have really played out. Turn to Hebrews 12. Keep your finger in Genesis and turn to Hebrews 12. We need to make sure it's very clear what, is, what really happened with, uh, with Esau on the day where he gave up his birthright, and giving up the birthright, you no longer have the blessing as the firstborn. Um, Jacob had already been given the birthright by Esau for the red stew. What follows um, subsequently is the fact that you received the blessing, because that was God's purpose. Um, but here, Esau didn't like the fact that he was swindled out of his uh, birthright, and now um, the, the blessing was stolen from him. But what really happens, we, we see in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, and it's interesting because um, Esau's compared to someone who's sexually immoral. And it's like, it's, it's hard to make the connection here, but we can. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14 through 17 says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one obtain, see to it that no one fails, that's important, to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Do you think Esau's bitter in this chapter? He cried out bitterly, bitterly wept. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, and by it many become defiled. So when you're bitter, it doesn't just affect you. It affects people around you. Many are defiled by the root of bitterness here. If you've ever seen that play out, you can observe it easily. A bitter person is not only, it's not only themselves who is affected. If you're in the vicinity of someone who's bitter, usually it, it, it ends up... Um, defiling many, and becomes like a plague that we hate. Verse 16, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. Why did he find no chance to repent? He's a vessel of wrath, though he sought it with tears. So he's crying. I want a blessing. He's crying. He's weeping bitterly. It looks very sincere. But here it says that like the one who is sexually immoral, like the one who is unholy, 
Esau did something here um, that they all have in common. Esau and the sexually immoral and the unholy are guilty of the same thing. What Esau did, what the unholy do, what the sexually immoral do is all the same thing. And this is what it is. They give way to the solicitations of the appetite without regard to, 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 uh, to what might happen, without regard to consequence. They give way to the solicitations of the appetite without regard to consequence. If um, you really, your appetite says only eat fried food and you only eat fried food for the better part of a year, what's going to happen? Yeah, you become very unhealthy, your arteries are clogged, and you gave way to the solicitations of your appetite, though you didn't really care about the consequences, you just gave way to the solicitations of the appetite. When you bring the consequences into play, you don't so easily give way to the solicitations of the appetite. Another way of saying it is you're giving way to the temptations of the flesh with no regard to what might happen. I just want to do what I do because it just feels good to me and it feels right. And it, uh, Just don't worry about the consequences. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. That's what Esau did. He gave way to the solicitation of his appetite. Red stew, I must have it. What do you want, my birthright? I don't care. I'm not going to give regard to the consequence. What might happen? I'm just going to give to, way to the solicitations of the appetite, to the temptations of the flesh. That's how he was sexually, compared to sexually immoral people. Sexually immoral people give way to the solicitations of the appetite for the temptations of the flesh without regard to consequence. Regardless of consequence, or to say it another way, they've treated something sacred with irreverence. The sexually immoral treat something very sacred, a sexual relationship within the sanctity of marriage, with irreverence. The unholy treat that which is holy with irreverence. Esau treated that which was sacred, the birthright, with irreverence. You see the picture there? You see why he was compared to the sexually immoral and, and the unholy? Because there was something very sacred, and he said, I'm not going to give regard to that. I'm not going to care about the consequences of my actions. I'm just going to do what feels right in the flesh, what, just give way to the solicitations of my appetite. He, and here's what's interesting. That's the definition of profane, by the way. To be profane is to treat something sacred with irreverence. Um, he, uh, like many others, who are guilty of surrendering to the solicitations of the appetite, sets himself up as the victim. Now, let's explain that a little bit. Awkward. Um, here, Esau has given way to his flesh. Yet, he, like many others, we'll just stick to the scriptures, gave way to the solicitations of his appetite and then sets himself up as the victim. Look what happened to me. I was, I was duped. I can't believe this happened. Um, I still deserve what I want. And this, he, he took away my birthright. He took away the blessing. There's no mention of him giving it up because he was hungry. What's happening here is that he sets himself up as the victim. Can y'all think of anybody else in Scripture who gave way to the solicitations of the appetite and then set themselves up as the victim after it happened? Start at the beginning and move forward. Yeah, Adam and Eve. That looks good. I will eat that. Then what happens? Look what sh the woman you gave me, God. I'm a victim here because of this flawed woman you gave me that made me eat this. And what does the woman say? Oh, that serpent. I never would have done that had the serpent not... 
gave way to the solicitations of the appetite, set themselves up as the victim. It's interesting, as you read through Genesis, we'll see that more uh, with Judah and uh, Tamar that happens as well. Uh, Genesis 38 is going to be a doozy when we get to it. Um, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. What did Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife saw Joseph, it's hot for Joseph, um, uh, makes her offers uh, again and again and again, and he says no, he says no, he says no. And in fact, in the chapter, he actually says, I, I, I'm not going to sin against God. It wasn't just that he didn't want to sin against the master of the house. He had regard for what the master of the house cared about, but he didn't want to sin against God. And finally, how does the story go? He's in there, she says, come on, and he says, uh-uh, and then what happens? He takes off running, she grabs the cloak, he takes off without his cloak, and then what does she do? She sets herself up as the victim. She totally gave way to the solicitations of her appetite, and when it was all said and done, she totally set herself up as the victim, just like Esau does here. Now, I want to make sure that it's very clear. Some people are truly victimized. I don't want to just say that no one's ever really victimized. If you're a victim, then you're probably giving way to the solicitations of your appetite. I'm not saying that at all. When someone is truly victimized, sinned against, when there's shame brought upon someone because someone else's sin has hurt you and engaged you in a negative way, that's a very sad circumstance. This circumstance is different. When we're walking with fellow sinners, we're all a bunch of fellow sinners. I'm a sinner. Y'all are sinners. We all walk together. When we're walking with fellow sinners, we got to be careful to show as much insight and wisdom as we can because we're called to provide counsel for each other. We're called, we're, we're called to hold each other accountable in the truth, to stir one another up by way of reminder. If we just jumped right into Genesis 27 with no background, how would we feel about Esau? That poor Esau. Someone needs to intercede and, 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 and fix things for Esau. You see what I'm saying? Like, if we didn't have the previous, you know, 26 chapters and the rest of Scripture, if we didn't know the whole story, if we didn't know what God had planned for Esau before it all started, before even his life started, it would be easy for us to think it necessary for someone to intercede and help out poor Esau. I mean, he is crying, right? The one who's crying isn't always the one who's right. That's not how it works. Just because you can muster tears, I'm not picking on women. There's plenty of guys who must. Aaron cries all the time. Um, there's a, just because, and I'm not, uh, just because someone's crying doesn't mean that they're the one who has just totally been wronged or they're the one that's totally the victim. A lot of times the one who's crying the loudest is the furthest from being the victim. A lot of times, not all the time, not all the time, but a lot of times. I, I mention that because we need to have the insight that is necessary to walk with people. Because if we just jump in this, if I just jumped in the chapter, I'd be like, well, apparently, Jacob's a big jerk, Esau's a victim, and I can't believe this happened to him. When you're counseling someone and you just jump into the middle of the, the situation, it's really, really necessary to get as much information as you can, to go as far back, and to look at things, and to provide wisdom and insight, and it takes a lot more time. Like, what, if I want to have a bigger question... A bigger question. If I want to have a bigger understanding of what's going on here, what do I have to do? I have to take the time to go and read more and look at the family and look at the dynamics. 
it's important that we take the time that's necessary to provide good counsel because here, the one setting themselves up as the victim is actually the one who's given way to their, to their appetite with regard to only themselves. Verse 37 is interesting. Look at verse 37. It says, Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? It's interesting. Isaac's walking in faith right here. What do we know about Esau? Okay, what do we know about Isaac right now? Just the whole chapter. What do we know about Isaac? He is Isaac. I, I've done that the whole time I've been studying. I'm calling Jacob Isaac, and yeah, it's a mess. Um, Isaac the dad, old man river, what do we know about him? He's blind. He has his own plan. He, he's what? Deceitful about his health, maybe even confused about his health, which is leading him to be more deceitful than he would be if he wasn't so confused. He favors Esau. He doesn't communicate to his wife. He's hungry. He possesses the blessing. These are all things we know about Isaac. What do we know about Esau? Harry? Very important in this chapter. He wants the blessing, or a blessing at least. He wants to be blessed. What else do we know about Esau? Avid hunter. He's the favorite. He dislikes his brother, especially here in a few, uh, yeah, just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So to make sure it's clear, Isaac is an old man who's blind and thinks he might be dying. Esau is a hairy, avid hunter who's a loose cannon, right? And Isaac is saying, this is the way it's going to be, Esau. This is the blessing that the Lord has ordained. It's interesting. Isaac, changed by God, has blessed Jacob by faith and is now walking by faith. And in doing so, even when he's questioned by his very angry and likely armed son, he plainly tells Esau how it's going to be. There's a, a quote that I ran across this week. Take note of Isaac's boldness here. Why was Isaac so bold? How did he go from trembling very, very violently because he's a duped, silly old man to standing up to his very masculine son who's angry right now, saying, no, no, no. your brother is blessed, and um, that's how it's going to be. Why is Isaac so bold? God has interceded. Whose presence has he been in? God's. Isaac has been in God's presence, and that changes Isaac. God came in and said, I told you I'm going to accomplish all my purpose. You're never going to undo it, even in, on your worst day. I am God and I will accomplish all my purpose. And Isaac here has been in the presence of God and he comes away with a boldness that is not there in the first half of the chapter. When I see him looking at his son, Esau, who's an avid hunter, a manly man, who's angry, a loose cannon, and um, here he, he says, um, uh, behold, I have made him Lord over you. That's a pretty direct thing. I've made him Lord over you. Not, sorry, Isaac, or sorry, Esau. Esau, don't be so mad, Esau. Esau, just lower your voice, Esau. Don't get so upset. He just says, I made him Lord over you. 
Your smooth-skinned brother is Lord over you. And all his brothers I have given to him for servants. All your other brothers are his servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. He's being sustained because the blessings that God has given me and the grain and the wine I've given to him. What then can I do for you, my son? That's, that's bold. Ed Welch states in his book, when people are big and God is small, the whole point of the book is that if you need the approval of people more than you, if you fear people more than you fear God, you can't ever love people. And he says this, if you've ever walked among the giant redwoods, you will never be overwhelmed by the size of a dogwood tree. If you've been through a hurricane, a spring rain is nothing to fear. If you've been in the presence of the almighty God, everything that once controlled you suddenly has less power. I think that's what we're seeing with Isaac here. When you've been in the presence of the almighty God, all those things that once controlled you, that would have caused you to turn from God and just look at the circumstances and, and be, just be reactive and just try to keep your head above water and I don't want anyone to hit me. Here, the things that controlled you, him particularly, suddenly had less power. He's been in the presence of the almighty God. If Isaac had not been in the presence of God, how could the situation have turned out different? If God had not interceded like he does and, God, and Isaac had not been in the presence of God, how would it have been different? Yeah, do over. Yeah, okay, Esau, you're madder. You're crying. You're, you're big. All right, here's your blessing. If, if he didn't have a view of what the mighty, uh, the very mighty realities of God in his life, he could have just, okay, Esau, whatever you want. But it didn't turn out like that because God interceded and God's a God of redemption. Look at verse 38. Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Again, Esau proves he doesn't care specifically about the blessing, just a blessing. He, he keeps saying it over and over again. Have you but one blessing? How about another one? I don't even care so much that you blessed him. Just bless me too. He just wants to be blessed. He's treating something sacred, the blessing, with irreverence. He's being irreverent towards the sacred blessing that comes from God. It's not even Isaac's to, to modify and to change. Isaac can't be like, sure, I've got two sons that I like now. I'll give two blessings. No, this is God's blessing through Isaac to the offspring. So it's not Isaac's to modify and change. Welch in that same book says, if you want to know whether or not you fear God, note your reaction when good things are taken from you. If you want to know whether or not you fear God, note your reaction when good things are taken from you. What was taken from Isaac? Something was taken from Isaac in this chapter. Something that he had when the chapter started and he doesn't have now. Huh? The blessing? His, yeah? His will? Pride? What about the relationships? Yeah, here, what we see is that um, he starts off favoring his son. I mean, this is his favored child, Esau. And so what was taken from him is the relationship that he once had with his favored son, God interceded and said, this is going to be different. And you see him going from, come here, Esau, take your weapons and go hunt and bring back a feast for me so I can bless you before I die. That transitioned into, what else can I do for you, Esau? I mean, it's, it's very different. Now, what is, uh, how does Isaac react when, what, when that's taken from him? What do we see here? Boldness, right? He's bold. 
He's been in the presence of God. He fears the Lord rightly at this point. He didn't at the beginning of the chapter. God intercedes, redeems, changes hearts, and here he fears the Lord. And what we see is that when something was taken from him because he rightly feared the Lord, he didn't just run from the Lord. He didn't just walk away from his faith. He didn't just give up on the church. He didn't just give up on being a dad. Here, we see boldness, him standing in what God has ordained. What has been taken from Esau? Esau's had something taken. It was the favor, the blessing, birthright. Yeah, those things have been taken from Esau. And how did he react? Exceedingly great and bitter, crying out, weeping, and begging. If you want to know whether or not you fear God, note your reaction when good things are taken from you. Look at verse 39. This gets a little confusing. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Does anybody have anything other than the ESV? Everyone in here has ESV? NIV, what's NIV say? Uh, verse 39, the part where he begins the... Okay. Does anyone else have anything other than NIV or ESV? Anyone sporting old school KJV? Anybody? James? It says the same thing. It's interesting, when you go back to King James um, and a few other versions... It actually looks like it says the opposite here, and there's a little confusion, apparently, as to the translation of these verses. Um, I am no Hebrew scholar or, or, um, or grammatical uh, genius or anything of the, that nature, so I'm not going to try and tackle this head on. But um, here, in some verses, it says, Behold, of the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, of the dew of heaven on high. It's interesting because it looks like it says the exact opposite. And all that we need to know is this. Um, the direct Hebrew, I'll I'll tell you the direct Hebrew um, in English, not Hebrew, uh, so that you can know why there's confusion. It says, if you just go directly from, it's actually backwards, um, it says, to answer Isaac's father, to say, toward behold from fatness the earth, to be dwelling from dew the heavens from on high. You can understand why there may be some confusion in the translations, But here's all we need to know for this study. There's nothing eternal about this blessing. In Hebrews, it says, by faith, he blessed Jacob and Esau. Here, there's nothing eternal. It's all earthly. There's nothing eternal. And what actually we see in this blessing at the end, it says, when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Like the yoke that your brother has, when you grow restless and tired of him, you will break that from your neck and you'll be on your own. What we see here is exactly what Esau wished for. Prosperity in the world away from the people of God. If, if you're okay with success in the world, apart from the people of God, that's a problem. That's what Esau got out of the whole deal. You'll live by your sword. You'll live in the world by your sword. And then you'll break the yoke from your neck of your brother, and you'll go away from the people of God. Esau will refuse to attach himself to the one with the blessing. We should never be pleased with great blessings in the world apart from the people of God. It is a treasure to be a part of the people of God. We should value the relationships that God brings about, and we should do all we can to 
preserve the perfect unity that we have from Christ as a gift. Verse 41 says, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. This is bad, right? Um, God hated Esau. Remember what it said in Romans? Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Um, the Lord and his breathed out word in Romans 9 said that. Uh, God hated Esau. Esau hated Jacob. You see that? God hated Esau, and Esau hated Jacob, whom God loved. God loved Jacob. Esau hated Jacob. God's love for us may well inspire hate from others. Just because you're loved by God doesn't mean you're going to live a charmed life free of someone not liking you. Like a lot of times, if we are big in our own eyes, and someone's like, you're a jerk. I'm a child of God. The Lord has blessed me. How can you call me a jerk? I go to church. I, go to, I, was a, I was a Sunday school teacher. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. God hated Esau, Esau hated Jacob, whom God loved. God's love for us may well inspire hate from others. Esau here is going to do what we've seen before when people are acting faithlessly. Esau is going to create his own remedy to the problem. Esau is going to create his own remedy to the situation, and he begins to make a plan almost immediately without regard to how it affects anyone else. What is Esau's plan? I'm upset. I will remedy this. By doing what? Kill, yeah, killing his brother. That's bad. In case anyone's way behind, that's not a good thing. Philippians 2.4, you don't have to turn there, but I want to share this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That means that as a child of God, as a believer, as one who has been blessed, so that God may accomplish his purposes through you, you are a vessel made by God to do as he sees fit, poured out as he sees fit. It is not okay that you look to your own interests only. Personally, I'm burdened for our church to do a better job engaging the community. There's a lot of uh, hungry people in our community. There's a lot of people who could use help in a lot of ways. And Philippians tells us that it's not okay for us to only look to our own interests, to not only be inward focused, but to look to the interests of other people. So it's not okay that you just have your stuff together. You should help others to do that. It's not okay to say, oh, I can, I can buy that because I can afford it. As a believer, you have to ask another question, unless someone else needs this. We're supposed to look to the interests of other people. If you are very proud of where you're at because you got your stuff together and things are okay and it's all good and, and, and you're not convicted about showing interest in other people's lives, it's not good. That's a bad thing. The call there would be to repent and follow Jesus and serve others as he did. So don't look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Philippians 2.4. You may want to write it down and read it again later and pray through it. God will... When you submit to that, God will take you through some crazy, crazy stuff. There's people walking with other people right now. There's people's lives intersecting. This is crazy because they said, you know what? I'm not going to look only to my own interests, but to the interests of others. That's the kind of thing that leads you to actually seek to show hospitality. Not just to be passively hospitable when the opportunity presents itself, but to do what Scripture says, to seek to show hospitality. This is an example set for us by Christ and His humility, is what Philippians 2 says. But for the one who is giving way to the solicitations of his appetite, the one who's acting like Esau, the one who 
is just given way to the temptations of the flesh without any regard to what could happen. For that person, living only according to their own purposes, negative effects on other people are just a bit of residual damage. Have you all ever seen that? Where someone, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and anyone who gets in my way, sorry, this is what I'm doing. That's giving way to the solicitations of the appetite without regard to consequences. That's being self-serving and not caring about the interests of other people. Negative effects on other people are just a bit of residual damage. The bigger we are in our own lives, the less important to us the interest of others. The bigger that we are in our own eyes, the less regard that we're going to have to helping other people and caring about their interests. We should care about the interests of other people. Look at verse 42. But the words of Esau, her older brother, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Rebekah gets words of Esau's plan, Esau's remedy for the situation. Esau's upset, so he will remedy that by killing his brother, or at least making plans to kill his brother. And Rebekah gets word and says, Jacob, you've got to hear what your brother Esau's planning. He's hacked. This is what's going on. To be clear... One must be in a very dark place when they are comforted by the plans to kill someone else. The planning of any sort of revenge is not appropriate to the call of the believer. We're supposed to leave vengeance to the Lord. It's his, not ours. Leave vengeance to the Lord. Um, <laughs> it seems silly that I wrote this in my notes, but murderous intentions are a clear sign of godlessness. It's not good. Um, verse 42 says... Uh, so uh, she, she knew what happened, told him. And then verse 43 says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother, and Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until he doesn't want to kill you anymore, um, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets that you took his birthright. <laughs> um, he forgets what you've done to him. Then I shall send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? What do we know about Laban? Remember Laban? Remember when, uh, yes, yeah, Laban's very self-seeking. Huh? Yeah, he's going to put old Jacob to work. A weird way. That's going to be a weird chapter too. Um, yeah, what happened when, you remember the diligent servant Eleazar when he went to find a, a wife for Jacob and he ran across Rebekah at the well? What do we know about Laban? Oh, yeah. We're so ready for you. Come on in. Yeah, this would be good. Laban is a self-serving, dishonest opportunist. Go stay with Laban. This is a great plan. Sadly, um, and this is a pretty sobering moment in the whole chapter. If, if you read ahead in Genesis, you'll see this. Um, this is the last time that Rebecca sees Jacob. Right here. That's, the, that's an appropriate end to a very weird chapter. She says, just go for a while, and then I will call for you to come back. Go stay with Laban, the selfish opportunist. And she never sees him again from this point on. Rebecca never sees Jacob again. Verse 46, Then Rebecca said to Isaac, a little weird, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, 
one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Um, an effect of a life made bitter is siblings who quarrel. Um, an effect of a life made bitter can be siblings who quarrel. Here it's interesting. Jacob is going into a time of exile, a voluntary time of exile, and this is what we'll close with. Uh, we, like Jacob, heirs of the eternal blessing, enter voluntarily into this time of exile. We have not been given our, we have, we've been given our lead by Christ. Christ sets the example for us in this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We should heed the encouragement from Peter, who says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He also says, behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. We see all that from this story. The passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Abstain from those things in the time of your exile. Here, we are seeing Jacob go into a time of exile voluntarily. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5, and that's what we'll end with. Since it's over time. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It's talking about our heavenly dwelling and what we're really created for. And in verses 6 through 10, it says this. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That means that where you're at right now, where you're sitting, is not your home. It's not where you're intended to dwell eternally. We're away from the Lord right now. Our home is with the Lord. And it says, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please our Father. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, in this time where we are on earth as resident aliens, in a sense, um, that we would... Uh, do as you say, and that we would conduct ourselves appropriately. I pray that in this chapter that we would heed the many warnings that are given, that we would not be like the sexually immoral, like the unholy, like Esau, who just do what feels good at the time and take something that um, is sacred and handles it in an irreverent manner. Lord, as your children, children who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would not give way to the flesh, and to those temptations that we engage every single day. I pray that we would conduct ourselves well. I pray that we would be thankful for a redemptive God who intercedes when, we're in our, when we've made a mess of the situation, just like Isaac and Jacob and Rebecca here, they made a mess. And you interceded and you redeemed as you do. And I pray that that would keep us humble, that that would make us dependent on you before we get into the big messes and say, oh, I messed things up, God, come help. I'm thankful that you're a God who does help us in our weakness, who meets us in our sin. But I pray that you would just help us to walk according to your ways, trusting you implicitly at every, every turn, 
knowing that even when things seem wrong and hopeless, that you will accomplish all of your purpose. Lord, I'm thankful that we can trust you completely. I'm thankful that we are loved with a love from you that is lacking in nothing and is perfect in every way. I pray that we would love each other in a like manner. We would serve each other rightly, taking our lead from Christ. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.